Farmers and ranchers have seen a host of government programs and payments this year, which has some asking and wondering about what are the tax ramifications of everything that has come their way. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rural Perspectives podcast. I'm Adam Albrick, and today we're going to be talking taxes with Ashley Kiki of Egg Country Farm Credit Services. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. So it's been a year unlike any other. Uh, how are tax staff feeling heading into the final stretch of 2020? You know, I think tax staff are in the same boat as everyone else. This is unchartered territory and, you know, is lots of changes to keep track of and lots of things to happen. You know, we, we've had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act for a couple years now and we're just starting to get used to it and then the world has thrown a whole bunch of new information at us and some new tax law as well. So we are, I think, excited because with change comes a lot of opportunity. Uh, but are also focused on, you know, trying to understand everything to bring the best value and guidance to our customers. Yeah, and that's on top of, of course, a new presidential regime that will be coming and taking office here in the in the foreseeable future. But uh, we'll see what that pans out. That's that's probably we'll save that for a different podcast another day. But but since COVID really came onto the scene, it's gotten all of the attention. But before that, there were a number of government payments that happened or were in the works due to trade disruptions with foreign countries. Will any of those payments play a role in farmers' taxes this year? Absolutely. You know, we have what we've referred to as the CFAP payment. Um, That's a government payment that has come through that was new this year. But really, even before that, even before some of, like you said, these 2020 programs, we have a lot of income out there that when we were doing tax planning back in 2019 we deferred income into 2020 because it was anyone's guess what 2020 would bring but nobody guessed this and we are in a situation where we had lots of farmers that deferred their crop insurance into 2020 they deferred grain sales into 2020 because well in all honesty the prices just weren't that good so they were you know waiting for those better prices We had last year in 2019, we had those market facilitation payments. Those were, you know, the, that first group of payments that really came from the trade disruptions and there ended up being three different payments. And that third payment uh, was in 2020 for most taxpayers. Not only that, Thinking back to 2019, 2019 was a year of lots and lots of those crop insurance payments. And like I mentioned, a lot of people deferred those into 2020. But then we also ended up having additional payments come in during 2020. Uh, You know, there was the WIP program and the WIP Plus program, which allowed people to, you know, receive even more crop insurance payments based on moisture. So all of that happened and that income came into 2020 really before we had any recollection of what was going to go on with the pandemic. So ultimately, does that does that lead one to believe that there will be a little higher tax bills for some this year? I would think so. And really, it's because it's not only 
those payments what we had been planning on was to kind of we had planned on that those chunks of income to come into 2020 because we had thought you know prices are probably going to stay down and that having that income deferred into 2020 was going to help balance out income and keep fairly things fairly consistent well then now we're coming into the fall and winter of 2020 we're actually seeing some better commodity prices and we're seeing some grain that was deferred and that's bringing our income up we have the CFAP and CFAP2 payments coming in um, and we also have if if your insurance was under the PLC program I've seen some pretty nice payments coming through the other thing that I don't know that anyone really expected or accounted for was Syngenta, there was a Syngenta lawsuit, and if you were part of that, settlement payments have started coming through here in 2020. Um, in the spring, everyone received the first 65%, and the remainder is expected yet to come in 2020. So there's a lot of different things that kind of had this perfect storm of income coming into 2020 without a whole lot of change to people's expenses. So it really does take some, some planning around how do we treat that, what do we do with that income to really capitalize but not have a huge spike of income so that we're paying too high of tax rates. And you did mention the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program or CFAP um, for short, but then there that was passed shortly after COVID reached the U.S. here. Then there was a second round of it that was passed. How does the government treat these programs when it comes to the tax side of things? Is it straight up income? Yes, it is. So those are treated as a government payment and they are treated as income in the year received. So there's, you know, with all these different types of programs and payments going around, that's a very common question we, we receive. And you do have to take that those government payments as income in the year you receive them. That is the same thing with the Syngenta settlement payments. Those are all ordinary income picked up as farm income in the year that you receive them. So there is no deferral or no, no major flexibility with this stuff. It, it has to be counted this year. Correct. All right. Well, of course, then there's one of the larger ticket items that really came from the coronavirus legislation, and that's the Paycheck Protection Program. Agriculture hasn't traditionally qualified for all of the SBA programs, but the rules changed for this particular one, and farmers and ranchers became eligible. Uh, have you either worked with many farmers or fielded many questions about this program in its time? Obviously, you know, the application and all of that and the processing is, is long done, but now we're kind of at the back end of it, which is the second part, which is the forgiveness aspect of it. Yes, absolutely. So PPP, Payroll Protection Program, that has been a very common topic among both us as tax practitioners and something we've been discussing with our customers. Back in the spring, the conversation was all around whether or not a customer qualifies, how much they qualify for, and how to use those expenses. Like you mentioned, that piece of it is done, applications are in, people have received their loan. Now the conversation turns to 
How is this treated for tax purposes? What portion is income? Which portion is not? The biggest thing I think that really attracted people to the PPP loan was, well, one, you know, dollars of income when it was most needed. In the spring, we didn't know what was going to happen. So it made a lot of sense to go out there and get those funds when they were available. And the other big thing, though, that attracted people to that PPP loan was the forgiveness piece of it. So what happened was Congress said we have these loans and if you use them for certain expenses, they will be forgiven and you will not have to pay them back. And they, can, they additionally said that that forgiveness would not be taxable. So typically in the tax code, when you receive a cancellation of debt, that is considered income to whoever got that debt canceled. And so this was very unique in that they said that this, this forgiveness was not gonna be taxable income. Now, that's the, that is what Congress told us, and that's what they had in the law, but they were silent to what happens to those expenses we're using our PPP loan for. If you were using them to pay off utilities, to pay for your employees, how would we treat those expenses on the tax return? This there has been a lot of conversation on because Congress was silent to it, but in talking to them, they had said that their intent was to allow taxpayers to deduct those expenses while not having to pick up the income of the loan, kind of like letting them double dip. But that was not anywhere formally issued. Now, the IRS separately and just very recently, I think actually this week, um, sent out a revenue ruling, which is not a law, but it is their basis on how they believe something should be treated, that said that taxpayers cannot deduct expenses incurred related to PPP loan forgiveness. So while you wouldn't be picking up that income, they're saying you don't get to expense those related deductions. So if you used your PPP loan to pay your employees, that portion of the amount used to pay employees would not be an expense on your return. They are just, you know, they said that there is no double dipping allowed. This puts us in a little bit of a, a difficult spot as, as taxpayers and as tax practitioners because what we have is basically a disagreeance between what Congress has informally told us and what the IRS has uh, asked us to do. Now at this point, I believe very much so, we just need to follow what the IRS has issued. But when you, you mentioned a changing administration early on, and while I don't wanna get into that, what I can say is we do need to be flexible in how we're planning for year end in our year end taxes because there's a few things that could happen. Congress could pass a law that allows us to deduct those expenses. We could get a new treasurer secretary of the treasury and they could say we need to rewrite that revenue ruling 
So it all depends on how Congress responds and what happens with the administration and how much they can agree on whether or not we get a change to that piece of, of the rule that says you cannot deduct those expenses. We have to be cognizant of that when we're going into our year in planning and put little placeholders in place that allows us that flexibility when it comes to return time to make those adjustments if we need to. And so ultimately, from your understanding here today, if something is not forgiven as part of that PPP loan, it could be potentially taxable. So my understanding is that the PPP loan itself is not taxable, except in addition to that, what you spend the PPP loan on is not deductible. So what we're getting is a net zero impact instead of a double dip impact that we were maybe hoping for. All right. Yeah, that's these are just some of the things, obviously, taxes, as you know, can be very complicated. And when you're out there listening and thinking about this, um, yeah, it can be kind of hard to navigate sometimes. Absolutely. Now, when the federal government passed tax reform in late 2017, that changed many rules for farmers and ranchers. However, not every state fully conformed. And one of those states, of course, was Minnesota. Uh, The good news for those listening along is that Minnesota did finally conform here more recently in the past couple months to Section 179. How big is this for farmers? You know, this is something that we have been asking our representatives in Minnesota for, and this is something that we really wanted to see passed, especially while we are under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The reason this was such a big deal is because with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we are no longer able to do a like-kind exchange transaction on equipment. And what does that mean? That means that when we trade something, the sales allowance we receive is income, and then the new purchased asset, the list price, is what we're able to depreciate. And while at at the end of the day that tends to net out, in order to get that to net out, we have to be using some of that quick depreciation on that new asset that was purchased to offset that sales allowance. It all worked good and fine on the federal return, but in Minnesota, when you use that quick depreciation or that section 179, they had historically and continued to require us to add back 80% of anything we deducted on the federal return. This caused much higher income in on the Minnesota return. And typically we would be paying tax on income that we may have never actually received, it was just a sales allowance that we had gotten from something we traded. And that that can be very difficult to cash flow. So when Minnesota finally did fully conform to the Section 179, it gives us a lot more ability to even out our income in Minnesota from those like-kind exchange rules that changed. Now, of course, there were a few years that passed in between, you know, when the federal rules changed and now when Minnesota has conformed. Is this new conformity retroactive at all? It is, and it's very interesting how that is going to work. So 
the the conformity is retroactive on assets that would have been part of a like-kind exchange. So it's it's retroactive but specific retroactive to those like-kind exchange assets. But what's really interesting about it is when you look at what Minnesota has put out, the Minnesota Department of Revenue, the information that they've provided, it's actually an optional um, retroactive adjustment. A lot of times when you have a retroactive change, we have to go back and make amendments. In this case, we have the option to go back and remove that add back and then for years following, adjust your subtractions so that you're not, so you're removing that subtraction as well. But Minnesota has said that you can go back and do that or you can just leave it. And if you did the add back in the prior years, you could just continue to take your subtractions. So it's nice that we have that flexibility, but it does add another complication to our calculations and what we're doing. Because what we have to do is look at each taxpayer has a different scenario and there might be benefits to leaving the add back in prior years and giving you the subtractions going forward. Um, and there might be benefits to going back and adjusting those returns. So you really have to review your two scenarios and decide which way to move forward. So it really kind of sounds like it's more so on a case-by-case -case basis. And, and if you are listening along, definitely talk with a, a tax professional before you make any of those major changes. Absolutely. Now, of course, uh, year-end is quickly approaching. Do you have any helpful year-end tips for farmers and ranchers who might be listening along thinking about their tax situations? Yeah, I think the big thing coming into year-end is communication, making sure you're not forgetting any of those payments that may have came through, you know, really understand your numbers. You don't need to know all the tax implications of every piece of income or expense you have, but make sure you're gathering it together. Make sure you're knowing what's out there, what you have. And then it's all about flexibility. We There's a lot of things out there we don't know. We're not sure what the, the tax law is gonna hold in, hold in the future. We don't know if we're gonna be able to deduct those PPP expenses and we've got some options to look at for Minnesota. So what I'm recommending and what I would like to see my customers do is just add, build, we're gonna build flexibility into their plans. We're gonna look at doing things like deferred payment contracts and we're gonna save some section 179 over on the side in case we need it because with how fast and how many changes we've seen so far in 2020, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more changes in the months ahead and we need to be able to be resilient and respond to those changes and get the best benefit we can out of our taxes. The other thing I'm having my customers keep in mind is really understanding what their tax rate is and historically, is it a fairly good rate? Are we gonna be able to use some income averaging for the, for the last couple of years that they maybe not have not had as much income? And really planning towards the future. More than ever, I'm doing multi-year planning instead of looking at year by year, somebody's tax picture, because as farming gets more complicated, as the tax code gets more complicated, 
it's crucial that we're looking at all those pieces and not just a narrow view of the 2020 tax return. Well, awesome. Is there anything else listeners should take note of uh, when it comes to taxes before we wrap up here that we might not have already addressed? I think we covered the major items. Um, It just goes back to communication, making sure your tax specialist is part of your team, understands where you're at, and if you've received any communication from the state of Minnesota or the IRS, sharing that with them, making sure they know what's going on so that we can all better work as a team to plan and get you the best case scenario. Ashley, thank you very much for joining us and providing some helpful context today. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. That's Ashley Kiki, Senior Tax Specialist Coordinator with Egg Country. That's going to do it for us on this episode of the Rural Perspectives Podcast, which is a production of Egg Country Farm Credit Services. To get more great content, please visit www.eggcountry.com.